0: Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. I guess maybe like another thing we should talk about that we sort of touched on is like, what if you don't own the horse? or? something like that and there's no people nearby like I guess what if you want to get involved in positive reinforcement but you like don't have a horse like maybe you just do lessons or you have a lease horse or whatever and either you can't do it or you don't know if you would be allowed to do it um
1: I definitely have experience with those type of things but
0: I guess like what do you think about that
1: I feel like if I was looking for a lease horse to use positive reinforcement I would probably go for like an old retired horse or horse that has some injury and can't be ridden because I feel like the treatment of those horses is often different and the owners don't feel as obligated to use traditional training methods but I also haven't had experience finding something like that either so that's tricky. (laughs) Yeah
0: I think that's a really good idea and that's kind of like I mean my horses are kind of in that situation. They're not retired or injured or anything, but they're not like working horses, really. They're not ridden and they don't do really all that much other than hang out all day. So (laughs) um, I guess I'm not really in an environment where I'm dealing with like people doing things with them that don't align with what I would like or my beliefs. So I feel like I'm in a very fortunate situation that way. But in the past, I have definitely been in uncomfortable situations where I like wanted to do things differently but couldn't because of like certain rules or beliefs of other people who had more control over the horse Um, and even in lessons with my own horse like with Coco I remember being in lessons and not wanting to do certain things but not feeling empowered I guess to stand up to the person even though like this is my horse I'm paying for this time I should be like someone in control like i mean obviously yeah if you're paying the lesson instructor you're paying them for their expertise and their teaching but still if it's your horse you should have some type of control to say i'm not comfortable doing this or my horse is not comfortable doing this but it, it is really hard when you're in those situations to kind of stand up especially if you don't have the ownership of the horse or the um like standing to really do that but i would say you just kind of have to evaluate your values and what's important to you. Like if you already have a relationship with a certain horse where you can't do positive reinforcement with that horse for reasons out of your control, then you kind of just have to ask yourself like, what's the best option? Is the best option to stay with this horse and have to kind of compromise on the training? Or is the best option to move somewhere else and, you know, have to leave behind a community that you might like or a horse that you might like and have to kind of start over fresh. Um, But in a more like welcoming environment for positive reinforcement so I think that's like there's not really a good answer to that question like I wouldn't say you should necessarily have to leave a barn or a horse that you already have a relationship with if you feel good there um, even if you can't practice positive reinforcement because there are still smaller things you can do to try to make things better or um, you know use like really light negative reinforcement or whatever but I definitely think it also is valid if you do want to leave that situation. Um, It's just kind of like personal choice.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately it's going to fall on the person to make the decision. And it's up to them what they think is acceptable and what's not. But if you're unhappy in a situation, it might be better to move on and find something more accepting. If you're willing to compromise it, then it's fine to stay there. There's nothing wrong with using negative reinforcement, but if that's not where you're comfortable, I think it's okay to move on. Um, I think it can just be really hard to find those places where you don't
0: have to compromise if you don't have the money or resources or whatever to support your own horse. But I mean, you just kind of have to do the best you can. Like I'm thankful that I found a situation where I don't have to pay anything other than like the little things that I buy them like toys and whatnot which is really really great but that was definitely not the situation when I had Coco (laughs) she was very expensive but I think money can definitely be a barrier to finding like a really accepting you know place if you're kind of stuck in one spot but you just kind of have to do the best you can and I don't think we can really give much more specific advice than that
1: yeah another idea I had another idea I had too was to reach out to a rescue for me personally, there's not very many around here, so that wouldn't be an easy option for me. I think the closest is probably like an hour away or more. But I know from my experience with animal rescues, not specific to horses, that that information is really valuable. It's It really changes the life of those animals. And I feel like a shelter or a rescue might be more open-minded and accepting to new ideas because they need the help versus a trainer who has a very expensive well-trained horse they're not going to want to change how their horse is trained just because someone else wants to it's a little different environment for that
0: yeah that's very true and that is a really good idea i've never like worked at a rescue but i have um volunteered at like therapeutic riding places like equine assisted therapy, and. Um, there when I did volunteer there like years and years ago I think in high school um, it was very kind of um, like open and they would show you what to do but you can sort of just kind of do your own thing and they had people like kind of riding the horses just at like a walk and maybe trot nothing too crazy and so there was kind of like freedom there to do kind of what you wanted they weren't necessarily telling you exactly what to do which maybe isn't great because that's not consistent for the horses but it does give you <laughs> freedom to kind of do what you want to do and practice the things that you want to practice which is really good um and that place has since like changed management and I've just started working with them again so it's a bit different now but that's how it was back then so <laughs> that's the most most of the time I was there was back then
1: yeah I had I went to a shelter rescue whatever one time locally to me, but it ended up being too far to volunteer there frequently. And I didn't really wanna go back anyway, unfortunately, because they weren't like necessarily super harsh and overly cruel or anything. They're actually lighter than a lot of people I've seen are, but they relied heavily on anthropomorphism. And I just didn't feel comfortable saying, hey, maybe the horse is in pain and not just being angry and rude and pushy and bossy or whatever and that can be hard to like in any horse environment I feel like we like to put labels on things that shouldn't be there because behavior is communication not a personality trait
0: yeah
1: that is so true
0: that's yeah behavior is communication not a personality trait that's great that's (laughs) that's a good quote I'll quote you on that (laughs) thanks (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think another thing that can be intimidating maybe is if you see like the videos and pictures and stuff online of people who are doing more like kind of advanced behaviors with like, you know, obstacles and like crazy equipment, where if you're new to the positive reinforcement world, you may not know what it is. Like even a target, you might not know what it is, let alone like more advanced type of things and so I think like just kind of I guess a reminder that like to do positive reinforcement you don't really need anything all you need is a method of reinforcement and like you know ideally maybe a bridge signal but you don't even really need that so I mean and you can also do it with your mouth if you don't have a clicker you can just make a clicking sound so really all you kind of need is like your horse like treats if that's your chosen method of reinforcement which I would recommend that is the method (laughs) of reinforcement and like Yeah. And an idea of what kind of behavior you want to teach. So you don't need like any type of crazy um, equipment or anything like that. And yeah, I mean, it's cool to have that. I would love to have like little obstacles and stuff, but you can definitely just get started with like a treat pouch and a clicker at most and not even really need that. So it's, it shouldn't be intimidating in terms of like the equipment you need because it's very, very low key and kind of, you can just do it with what you have
1: the terminology can be kind of intimidating because <laughs> there's so much of it. There's a lot of language that a more experienced clicker trainer might use that an amateur might not understand, but the basics are really basic. Like you just mark the behavior and pay it and then you're going to get more of it. Like it yeah. is it's really simple.
0: Yeah, and I think like in general we already understand that concept because it's how like partially how we learn too. Like, you know, if you get a reward for something you might do it again like if you i mean even just like if you study really hard for a test and you get an a or something then that's kind of like the a is rewarding you that you're going to study more like when we get a positive result we we continue that behavior and do it more so i think it's definitely something that comes easily to us to understand but we just have to kind of maybe unlearn other things that have been taught in the horse world and i think that's also somebody mentioned on I asked like a little survey on my Instagram that was like, what was the hardest part of getting started with positive reinforcement for you? And somebody said, like, kind of unlearning and not punishing. That was the hardest thing for them. And so I think that can also be a barrier to getting started with positive reinforcement for the first time. Because if you are kind of in that mindset that you have to punish the behaviors that you don't want, or something that you've been taught over time, then it's really hard to kind of let go of that. Or if you're not immediately able to do it you might feel frustrated or feel like you're a bad person doing a bad job and then that can kind of turn people off from it I think too um and I know like a lot of people have talked about like you know when the horse bites them or something it's still their kind of automatic response to like hit the horse or whatever and like if that happens to me which it thankfully doesn't because my horses don't bite me but um (laughs) if it did I would feel pretty guilty And be like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have hit them. But I think it's also like, you have to kind of have a mixture between understanding that like, you're new to this type of training, it's okay that it's not all going to come easily and immediately, but also understanding that like, it is really important to work on these things. So I think like, that can just be confusing and kind
1: of off-putting for some people. That was a lot, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely hard to unlearn everything you've learned, but also you don't have to unlearn everything if you aren't comfortable diving full into positive reinforcement going completely cold turkey which i actually don't recommend people do because the horses are learning too but you can kind of start implementing some easier things with clicker training like standing in the cross ties maybe you often so offer some open bar feeding you give them a hay net so they have something to do and keep busy or maybe you work on just self-haltering, putting their face in the halter by themselves. Like there's all these little things you can do that aren't necessarily taking everything else away. So if you're in a position where you have to ride, maybe your barn requires you to do lessons or it's a lease horse and you have to do lessons or whatever the case, then you can still do that, but also incorporate some positive reinforcement.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea, Matt. Definitely also goes back to what we were talking about before of if you don't have full control that's there's still small things like that you can do to make things better and kind of add a little bit of an element of positive reinforcement even if you can't fully get there.
1: Yeah and I think it's easier for the people and the horse to just really break things down and not start going completely into it because the horses are, are unlearning things too like they have a whole history of negative reinforcement just like you do
0: yeah that's really true
1: especially if you're working with the same horse
0: too that you previously did negative reinforcement with if there if like one day you were doing like a lunging session with a whip and then the next day you come in and you have a whip with a little foam thing on the end and you want the horse to follow it like a target they're gonna be like what the heck yesterday this was like you know chasing me around (laughs) telling me to run and today I'm supposed to like touch it or something like (laughs) I think it's totally fair that they they need to kind of go slowly and and not be um rushed into it and also understand the associations that they have too like you said because they're unlearning um and like if they have an association with a certain object maybe don't like immediately reuse that object um for something with positive reinforcement without like putting effort into like you know counter-conditioning it and just and yeah, like, I just think that you need to kind of keep those things in mind. But my horses hadn't seen whips in a long time. So I just went ahead and
1: used the whip as the target and it went fine. But like, <laughs> I just think it's something to keep in mind. With Wonder, when I first started, I was way over my head. I just thought I could completely drop all negative reinforcement and only do positive reinforcement. And that didn't really work because I have to take him out of the pasture with a halter, bring him back into the pasture with a halter and he had to stand on the cross ties to get trimmed or a massage and other people handled him. So it's like, you can't always drop everything. If you have a huge open pasture and you feel comfortable doing that, I mean, you can, it's possible, but I think it's easier for the horse and the person to start more slowly if possible. Yeah,
0: I definitely think that's true. I think with Coco, I like I went too fast into it but also not like I feel like I didn't I didn't really think I was doing positive reinforcement at first I just would show up to the barn and open up the barn and she would just walk in from the pasture like you know I wouldn't put anything on her like no halter or anything she would just come right in and she would stand like kind of in the cross ties not attached to the cross ties but like where the cross ties are And then I would like feed her treats and groom her. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just hanging out with my horse. And then in hindsight, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was positive reinforcement. She came in and I gave her treats and then groomed her. Like (laughs) it definitely (laughs) was, but I didn't really like, that was just sort of where I was like, okay, I'm done doing traditional training. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just doing what feels right. And just kind of hanging out here and the environmental setup was really good for doing that because the barn could close and was attached to the pasture, So there was no way for her to escape. Um, like, if she wanted to leave the property, she couldn't do that. But she still came in voluntarily and would like stand in the same spot. So she I definitely trained her to do that by <laughs> reinforcing it and did not know. But yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. My barn setup at the time when I first started was actually pretty nice too because the stalls were connected to the arena, but there was a door in between that you could close. And then the arena was attached to. I guess, like a path to the st- to the pastures, but it was also fenced off. So I started just bringing Wonder into the arena and unhooking his halter. And if he left, he left, and he left a lot <laughs> at first, but, <laughs> but then he would just go wait by the pasture to go back in. So it wasn't like oh. I was <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but it wasn't like I yeah. was putting him in danger or anything. He was still. And and he couldn't get away, but he could leave if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's probably a decent way of getting started. You definitely want to give them choice, but not like enough choice where they can escape and like get into the road or something. That's not a good idea. <laughs> no, definitely not.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you have to work on yes. a halter and a lead rope to start out, maybe you can't get them away from other horses any other way that works but then you have to be really mindful of their body language and when they might feel uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's
1: very true.
0: Um, And whenever I use like a lead rope, I make sure I'm not using it to pull or really intentionally use any type of pressure. Like I'll, I'll have like a cue or a target or some other way of asking them to move. And then the lead rope is just kind of there as a, um, I guess safety net if something goes wrong. But obviously if you haven't taught like targeting or like a walk-on cue or anything, then that might not work. But um <laughs> I do think like if you have to use a lead rope for safety reasons, it's totally okay to just kind of put that there and have it as a safety net and you know, just put it over their neck or hold on to it if you have to and not not pull on it um and use something else. But I like to put it over their neck if possible, as long as they're not gonna step on it because like, you can grab it easily if you're nearby them, but you don't have to, like, hold it while you're also trying to hold other stuff. And then it just gets complicated if you have to, like, have a free hand to hold the lead rope. And if they're, like, just following anyway and it's just there just in case, like, you don't really need to hold it. And if you're holding it, you're probably putting some type of accidental pressure on, too. So.
1: Yeah, a common thing in the dog training world is uh, to use the leash as a seat belt, not a steering wheel and I like to use that with the horses, too, because their brain should be the steering wheel, not the equipment they have on them. Yeah, that's definitely true. Whenever I was at
0: work, I would, like, literally have to pull the horses, like, using the lead rope as, like, a physical pulling thing, and it was just not good. Like, they, if anything, it should just be, like, a very light pressure, and they'll just come with me from that, Um, like, good negative reinforcement, but Yeah, it definitely, you know, in no situation, whatever type of training you're doing, should you be, like, literally having to pull the horse to, like, get them to move, unless it's, like, a literal safety situation, like, you need to get the horse out of the way for, like, them to not
1: get hit by a car or something. Yeah, I agree. And too often we use it in ways we shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's hard when you have a tool that gives you power to not like use it to the maximum of its
1: power. Yeah, definitely. And that also ties back into the unlearning because that stuff does become habit when you do it for long enough. Yeah,
0: it really does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much more about this topic, to be honest. I guess I would just say kind of as a last type of thing, um, don't rush yourself, like make sure you start slow, kind of like you mentioned. Um, and remember that for most people who are just doing this as a hobby, like it doesn't need to be about quick progress or about you doing it amazingly and like really great results happening immediately. Like it's really just about trying to create like a mindset shift and slowly kind of getting into this. And I mean, I'm about a year in, and I haven't made as much progress with my horses as I would have liked um, due to just me being busy working with three horses at once. And also me having to learn a lot during this year and um, learn how to work with different types of horses and, you know, different skills and things like that. So like, I haven't necessarily gotten as far as I originally thought I might by this time, but that's okay because I'm just doing this for fun and I'm doing it to bond with the horses and improve their quality of life. And so I would just say for like most people, especially if it's just a hobby, don't worry too much about the Like progress you're making if you're having fun and the horse is having fun then you're already doing better than most people so (laughs) (laughs) I
1: agree for sure I mean ultimately it should just be about building up a relationship that's based on trust and communication and understanding each other and we all got into horses because it's fun not because we like being stressed and angry all the time So I think bringing that back is is something we should all be trying to do, even if it's not, like I said before, if we're not using only positive reinforcement, maybe we still ride. As long as we're trying and everyone is as happy as they can be in that situation, I think it's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And taking time is good, for sure, like you said, because <laughs> there's so much to learn, even the people that are like the highest they can be right now in the training field still don't know everything you can never know everything
0: yeah that's very true and that's part of what's so fun about it is that you can always keep learning more there's never a time when there's nothing left it can be a lifelong journey that you can always keep working on and I think that's could be intimidating but I think it's also really cool because you can just continue building on it and getting better and I think that's the goal so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I find it motivating but I can also see how it'd be kind of scary
0: yeah me too but I don't know I, th- I think that hopefully this kind of gave a good idea of places you can look or start to get resources and possibly also just listen to our rambling but
1: <laughs> it's okay I mean, it kind of turned into what to do if there's no trainer to how to start on your own. So, I mean, I guess it goes together.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess
1: it does go <laughs> together. Okay. Well, I think that's all I've got. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.